to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. So Thanksgiving, right? Everybody loves Thanksgiving. Eat more than you should. Um, so I just want to take just a minute uh, because I do think that um, this, this wasn't planned around Thanksgiving in any way, but I do think this applies to today's text. Um, so Thanksgiving, it's the, the act or an instance of expressing gratitude. It's the giving of thanks, thankfulness. Isn't this just something that's so easy to do, right? Just comes natural. Well, maybe it does if everything goes our way. You think the way you think it should go, right? You guys are going to have to bear with me too. I still have a little bit of a cough, so hopefully we can get through this without a cough attack. But So here's what I mean about it going your way and producing thankfulness in your heart. I mean, I'll be honest. Mashed sweet potatoes with brown sugar is my favorite dish at Thanksgiving, right? So I'm sitting there in line, going through the line, looking at all the dishes, and I get to the sweet potatoes and see these big orange chunks and think, what is this? Why in the world would somebody change it up this year? And just something so simple like that can all of a sudden change your heart's posture, doesn't it? All of a sudden, I'm just kind of like, gosh, that's one thing. It's like dessert to me, you know? Something so silly can often change our heart's posture. But don't judge me, right? It might not be sweet potatoes for you, but what is it? Okay, but in all seriousness, taking time to not only individually think about your own life and be able to see God's graces in, um, in your life and be able to be thankful and have gratitude and appreciation and satisfaction but something even a little bit more difficult than that. How about also being able to look at others, others' lives and praise God and have thankfulness in your heart towards God for others? So I hope that we, only, we not only do this seasonally, but this can become a natural part of our lives as we look to Christ, that we can truly be thankful people. So we learned last week in Sankey's sermon that life is de defined by our Creator God and in the new identity of our Redeemer. To be aware of our heart's desires and tendencies to forget the kingdom, trying to squeeze life and meaning out of substitutes. So in following this theme and along with thanksgiving, I believe the parable we are in today is very timely. And I believe God wants to continue to peel back and reveal things that could be in the way of God being our greatest desire. Today we're going to conclude our series of the parables by looking at Matthew 20, the parable known as the laborers in the vineyard, which is a parable helping us to see what the kingdom of God is like, a story used to illustrate the truth that the last will be first and the first will be last. So thankfully, I get to go last preaching in this series of the parables. So in that way of thinking, Sankey obviously didn't think really through this because obviously today's sermon is probably going to get like a million views or something like that, right? No, no, but in seriousness, I'm honored and truly excited to preach God's word today. So you guys can go ahead and turn uh, with me in uh, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read a lot of text today. 
because in order to get to Matthew 20, we've got to read quite a bit of Matthew 19, which gives us the context. So if you guys want a title for the sermon, I'm not very good at titles and things like this, but I do believe that the title kind of just came through reading um, through this text. And um, so the title I'm just going to say is, Where is Your Heart? And going through the, the text today, we're, we're going to see three questions. What must I do? What have I done? And what am I doing? And I think in answering those three questions, it will lead us to the question, where is your heart? So we've taken a journey through some of the parables that Jesus taught, and we know that a parable is a story used to illustrate a truth. We have learned that a parable literally means something cast alongside something else. Jesus used parables as teaching aids, and we know that often people describe parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So context is key to helping us rightly divide the word of truth. Remember, Jesus had a main point in mind when teaching using a parable. He wasn't teaching a vague story, leaving it open to interpretation. He was giving us a story to connect to the truth being taught. So let's pray for for a moment. God, just with that in mind, Lord, as we come to your word and we look through this parable that you spoke, that you have given us, Lord, let it be a story that comes to life in our own lives. That it helps us to see the deeper meaning of the truth that the last will be first. Lord, I am truly thankful that you are a God that has given your word to us for life. And we are a people. We confess today that we are a people, just as Sankey taught last week, and as we will see today, that we easily go astray that our hearts are prone to wander. And so, Lord, would your word come alive today? May we have ears to truly hear today. God, would you be glorified? May we be changed and in more awe and praise of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to to focus in Matthew 20, 1 through 16. But in order to do that, we're going to read uh, some of the context in 19. So we're going to read quite a bit here, so follow along with me. We're going to start here in verse 16 of 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier easier for a camel to go 
through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said with, Man, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Taking, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. I know this is a lot to, to kind of work through here, but let's look back here for just a second. In 19, in verse 16, it says, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do? That was his important question. Jesus shows his deity in already knowing the intention of this man's heart. So he quickly leads the rich man to the only way of salvation. He shows him that he is asking the wrong question, but he misses it. Have we missed it? Let me ask you guys, have we been trying to live the answer to the wrong question? Jesus does lead him to a choice to do something. We see the answer in verse 20. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and come and follow me. He knew his heart's intentions, that it's not at all what you can do. Therefore, to gain eternal life, it's simply agreeing to God's terms. And those are as simple as believing in him and following him, trusting that he is who he says he is. If we're honest, we're all a lot like this young man and want to know what we are living, if we're really living out the answer to that question. What must I do? See, the answer is simple, right? Repent and believe. Repent, turn away from your sin, believe in him that God's way of salvation is enough, that his terms of paying for debt of sin was sending Jesus, the perfect God-man, to take upon your sin, to drink down the full wrath of God that his perfect life, blood, would be the only way to allow you, a sinner, 
to be clean, made right before God and accepted into his kingdom. It's repent and believe in Jesus Christ, right? The answer is simple. What must we do, right? It's not his terms plus your terms. You can't do something. You can't believe in him plus do acts of service to make yourself cleaner. We see this in 19, verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. He is saying, I've done all of these things. What do I still lack? But be careful here, church. We can know the right answer, right? Repent and believe the simple answer. Believe in Christ. We can know that and believe that, believe it, but live in a world of performance instead of rest. Any Christian that knows the Bible knows that it's not performance. But do we live getting our assurance of salvation in our performance? Or is your assurance of salvation in the completed work of Christ? But wait a minute. We know the scriptures, right? We know. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? That's right. I'm not at all saying that we should not be pursuing a life of obedience. Don't hear me wrong. But I am saying that it is very important to consider the intentions of why you are obeying, why you do or don't do things. There's a subtlety to the deception And I'm trying to peel back a layer of the human heart that naturally wants to run back to proving ourselves to God. The heart's intentions to read your Bible, pray, go to church, they can be out of what must I do? Instead of just simply, I want to be with you, God, because I love God. This is what I mean by missing it. He missed it. Trying to live out the answer to the wrong question. What if instead often waking up, thinking of your Christian life as, what must I do today? What should I be doing? What if we we just change that completely? What if we pause and ask ourselves the question, What are the intentions of my heart? And we contemplate a lot more on the love of Christ, that Christ was the only I that can be in the question, what must I do? He takes the penalty that you deserve. It's already been done. Jesus literally tells him, he says, there's only one who is good. It's kind of funny because sometimes you can read the scriptures and and just miss that completely. It's like Jesus didn't really even answer his question. He knew his heart and he took him right to himself. There's only one who is good. Coming to Jesus this way, think about it. If we wake up in our Christian life and we come to Jesus this, this way, it's a completely different posture. It can be from the right motives. And here's why this is a very important question to ask. It leads us into this next section. So let's look again here at the text. I'm going to read it, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? It leads us to that next question, right? So we see now Peter's only asking the question that we all sometimes really want to ask. If we're honest, right, we can probably see ourselves a lot in the mind and thoughts of Peter. I know, I know, we're good Christians though, right? 
Poor Peter. Bold, I'll never deny you. I'm living for you, God. But maybe we can see not only see ourselves in the mind and thoughts of Peter, but in his actions as well. At times, lack of faithfulness, lack of obedience. But here we see the underlying assumptions start coming out. Here's Peter listening and watching Jesus tell this guy what he must do, right? Because Jesus tells him what he must do. And Peter's listening along with the disciples. And Peter's heart gets exposed also. He hears Jesus tell this guy who is rich that he will have treasures in heaven. All he must do is sell what he has, give it to the poor and follow Jesus for exchange of eternal life and treasures in heaven. And Peter thinks, well, we've done that. We have obeyed. We're obeying. We left everything to follow you, Jesus. If this man who is rich already has everything, the finest clothes, the finest house, the finest of everything, he's rich and he's offered treasure. Think about that. Peter clues in. He hears his response. Oh my goodness, what is that treasure going to be like? This guy has everything. So he starts to think to himself, and he asks Jesus the question, see, we've left everything and followed you. Don't be too hard on Peter, guys. Listen, we're a lot like this. Peter is only logically doing what we all do, basing things off of what we can see. He's comparing his life to the rich young man. I mean, you don't compare your life. You don't compare yourself to others, do you? You don't struggle with that, do you? And this is where the paradigm shift that Jesus is wanting us to see takes place. Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus begins to tell us this story, right? This parable. So we have to, consider all of those things leading into this story. If not, we could take this parable wrong. So that's the context. A rich young man asks a very important question, what must I do? Which leads Peter only in listening in to ask his question, what have we done? Look what we've done. What is our reward? So it brings us here to Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for the vineyard. This helps us to see that this is a parable about people who are already in the kingdom working, not people trying to get into the kingdom. That's a very important thing to remember about this parable. It helps helps us to see that this is a story about the attitude of service, our intentions of the heart, our motives. We see in verse 1 that it was simply a choice by the master of the house to hire who he pleases, whomever he desires. We want to be careful here to not add to the text, right? And not to read more into what the scripture is communicating clearly to us. And what I mean is that it's not communicating that God is in need of people, okay? That he is hoping people will work for him, that he's not complete without us, that he can't fulfill his purposes or desires without us. But rather, Jesus is simply using a story that is relatable to the disciples at that time. 
The disciples would have seen this very thing take place all the time. They would have seen landowners going to the marketplace to find people to hire for work, a normal routine to find employees or to find a job. Verse 2, after agreeing with the labors for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So here we see an, an arrangement, an agreement of terms that the labors agree to what they feel is right or what they feel they should be owed. And the master of the house was happy with the agreement. And he sent them into the vineyard to work. And we see that the laborers were happy as well with the agreement and went into work. But something interesting here, the master allowing them to even have a choice. This should kind of come to a shock for us and even allow us to see some of the character of God here. That he allows them to have a say in the matter after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius. And just so you guys know, a denarius was just a coin, which usually kind of equaled up to a day's wage, okay? But this isn't a heavy-handed master that enslaves people to his terms. But he's rather a very kind, generous He's relational. We live in that today. Doesn't God not allow you to choose each day? Does he not give you desires of your heart? But we know that he is still the one in authority, and it is by his terms that any of us are even allowed to come into his work, right? It's not changing in any way the terms. He's still the one in authority, but he has lavishly allowed you to choose, to have choices in your life. Kind of gives us a little picture of this God, this master that he's relating this God to. So in verse 3, he says, In going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the master of the house, desiring to hire others, he goes back to the marketplace and finds others standing idle, waiting, waiting to be hired for the day. I mean, this could be, I mean, it could be related to the fact that, you know, there's a, a timely task at hand, Right? He goes out, he hires some people, and he realizes, man, I've got to get this done. Maybe there's a storm coming. Maybe there's, I'm going to go out and hire some more. Maybe, that could be the case. But I don't know. I, I kind of maybe think just in the character of God, there's something else a little bit that could be here. So to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So here we see a couple of things. We see another agreement of terms, except this time without knowing the amount. Let me ask you guys, how many of you guys would go to work with those kind of terms? Hey, come work for me and whatever's right, I'll give it to you. That'd be kind of hard to do, wouldn't it? The only way we could do that is we would have to really know that the one hiring us is a fair and just person, that he's a good person, that he's going to do what is right. So they went, and going out about the sixth hour and the ninth, he did the same. So again, you, you could... Kind of maybe picture here is like, man, maybe it's a timely task. This master of the house needs to get these things done. Or maybe it's just truly out of his goodness. 
that he just wants to invite people into his work, his vineyard. So we can see that this man must have had a good reputation, someone who can be trusted, someone who truly was fair and just and good. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. He didn't even say, and I'll pay you what is right that time. He just invited them in. So the 11th hour was at the end of the day, right? The others have put in almost a whole day's work and were getting ready to get off and go home, probably excited and proud that they worked hard, provided for themselves and their families. Man, but think about it. These people, they stood in the marketplace almost all day, searching, waiting for a job, waiting to be hired for the day. And they were looked over and passed by. I want to bring out a few things here. It can be easy to assume some things here. So maybe these workers, they were lazy. Maybe they showed up late to the marketplace. Maybe these people were less appealing people. They just aren't as fit as the others. Maybe their upbringing was different. Maybe they didn't have a family that was able to buy them the top of the line pickaxe or hoe tool or whatever it is, you know, they used to um, back then for harvesting. But can you imagine, just think, having to go home to your family at the end of the day empty-handed. You stood there all day doing all that you could do. And man, it looks like I may be going home empty-handed today. Not being able to provide for your family, doing all there was to do at the time, and just not getting picked. See, if I'm honest, if I'm personal with you guys, this is the part of the story where God starts to peel back my own heart, revealing how quickly I can assume about others, fail to recognize the graces in my own life. Just picture this for a minute, okay? Let's be a little silly here and use an illustration relating this to our time, our context, okay? Just, just come along with me. It's going to be a little silly. One sets an alarm early to make it to the bus stop because they don't have a vehicle to get to work. But they not only make it to the bus stop to be able to arrive on time, they be sure that they catch the first bus to be able to assure themselves that they would beat everyone to the marketplace so that they could be first in line to be picked for hire, okay? That's the first picture. Second picture, one sets an alarm then hit snooze. Knowing they have a reliable vehicle that was given to them by their parents in grad at graduation, maybe. They could drive a little faster and still get there on time. But maybe they arrived just a few minutes late, so they're about, oh, about the 50th person in line. But that's okay. He knows that he has the right tools for the job, that shiny pickaxe or whatever it was that they used for harvesting. He had the right tools for the job and never has any issues getting chosen for hire for the day. So the master of the house comes only needing 49 people that day. Picks everyone except for the very first guy in line. Why is that, we ask? Well, maybe because maybe he was handicapped. Maybe he wasn't dressed properly for the job. Maybe he is the only one that didn't have a degree in harvesting. I know, guys, I know this is silly. It's a silly illustration. But you see 
how quickly we can assume things of others based off of what we see or what we think we see. We assume things based off of our lives, our circumstances. Now, I give this little illustration not to say anything about the master here, but only to bring out some motives, some intentions of us as the workers, to caution us as we read the text and maybe esteem ourselves without knowing. This is what I mean about assumptions. One could assume a lot based on appearance, based on what you think you can see, based off what you think you know. But let me ask you guys, so who really was the lazy one in my silly little illustration? Another thing I want to be clear on is this, that I am not, not painting a picture that those who have things should feel guilty for having them. I'm not saying that you should feel guilty that you were born into a family that was able to give you a car at graduation. But I am trying to get us to take time to reflect on the intentions and motives of our hearts to help us to become more aware and hopefully more aware of others But for those of us who feel less fortunate, those who seem that everything is against us, there's also caution to begin to feel like you're owed something or God is unfair rather than to be able to recognize all the graces in your life as well. So no matter where you're at in life, it can be easy to begin to think you're deserving of what you have been given rather than an understanding that it's been a gift from God all along. Life itself is a gift. And we live, guys, we live like we're promised tomorrow because of the things we do or don't do. This is not a call for us to feel guilty, but thankful No matter where you are in life, you have something to be thankful for. It's a call to examine the heart, to reflect on the kindness and goodness of God. And to caution ourselves about judgments and assumptions that could lead us to entitlement. Let's go back to the text. I don't think we can see a picture of the master of the house, the one doing the hiring. I mean, I do think we can see a picture of the master of the house, the one doing the hiring, and it it gives us a good picture of, of this master. I believe the text does want us to see that God is just, that he does care about all, verse 1 says the kingdom of God is like a master of a house, particularly this kind of master, one who I believe could have gone back to the marketplace to invite people into the field out of delight and kindness, to show no partiality. Remember, the parable is not telling us that God needs us. Rather, the parable is bringing us to the truth of God's character and challenging us to consider who it is we do our work for, and why it is we even work in the first place. So let's look again here at the text, verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. We see the consistency here when Jesus tells Peter in verse 30, chapter 19, but many who are first will be last. And the last first, we see the consistency in the story. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. 
we can see here that this master is really good, kind, generous, not in any way stingy with what he has. These people got more than they deserve. They just got paid for a whole day's wage and only worked one hour. Can you imagine what these people could have been thinking when they got off work and went home? Proud that they had a master who supplied all of their needs, who recognizes and is thankful that they have gotten more than they deserve. Now, it doesn't specifically say this here, but this is where we know that the text, the parable, it doesn't have different meanings, but it can have many different implications. Okay, so it doesn't say this specifically here, but let's think about this for a second. Isn't it amazing how quick and subtle deception creeps in and thinks that one deserves it? Think about it. One goes home, forgets the kindness and grace of the master, proudly throws his money down on the table, says, look, babe, I worked hard today. Look what I did. Isn't that the same response that Peter had? See what we did? Verse 27 there in 19. See, it doesn't matter where you're at in life, your status, whether you're the one who truly did bear the heat of the day and work the full 12-hour shift or just worked one hour. There can be this natural sense to think one is deserving of the kindness of the master. Now verse 10, it says, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. I mean, do you blame them? Naturally, don't we kind of have those tendencies? Maybe they thought, man, I know we agreed upon a denarius. This guy only worked one hour. He got one denarius. Simple math. Maybe I'm going to get 12. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us? You have borne the burden of the day, the scorching heat? I mean, maybe they thought that. Maybe they thought in their minds, I have the harvesting degree. These people get what I get? Are you unaware? Can we realize the work being done had become for themselves instead of service for the master. Don't we know, church, what our master says? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For what? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. They were happy at first to take the heat of the day. They did it with pleasure at first. But he replied to, the, replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius?
This should be a revealer to us here that Christ himself should always be enough. If we have taken our eyes off of him, then he is no longer our true delight. And the things that he has to give us is, that's our delight. Our heart's motives have become off. We know that good intentions with wrong motives can be sin. The parable ends by saying, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. In closing, let's, let's just go back though for a minute before we close. Just look at Peter. Think about his question. It makes perfect sense. And Jesus responds to him with what? You will receive a hundredfold. Do you think at the moment, though, maybe Peter's like, this man over here is rich. He has everything. And he's going to get treasures in heaven. I can't imagine what that looks like. All I am is kind of just a middle-class guy, hundredfold. Uh, uh, I don't know. Is that really... Really that great? He took his eyes off of following Christ and why he was doing it for his things. What Christ gets him rather than Christ himself. Don't we all kind of have that tendency? You know, I'm, I'm super thankful for guys like Peter in the Bible, right? We know the stories, a story about he's saying, I won't deny you. And what happens? He denies him. He fails. And what, what's Jesus's response? You idiot. How ridiculous. Not at all. Prove yourself. Not at all. I think Peter and the disciples really actually learned something here. And here's, here's how I know that. Actually, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know that the cert, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Same question. And Peter said to them, Repent, believe. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I, th I think Peter learned. I think the disciples learned something. So I ask you guys today, the text that we just went through, is it just a text? Is it just another parable? Can we take time to let God peel back layers of our hearts? It's easy to say, I'll do anything for you, Lord. It's easy at times to do what you know is the right thing to do.
But can it be done in the wrong motive? So this is a call, guys. It's not a call for guilt. This is a call for us to look within our hearts to see Christ for who he really is. This master of the house who is good, who is just, who gives you more than you deserve. To be thankful. And then to be able to look out at others and be thankful for them. That's a completely different church. And that's what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the story? The guys who got hired first, praising and worshiping God that that person who only worked one hour got the same? Man, that's a different church. That's the beauty of Christ. So in closing, guys, and Matt is going to come up and lead us in communion. But I just want us to think about this. We just had Thanksgiving. We're moving into the holiday of Christmas. We move into the new year where we all have our resolutions and Bible reading plans to do better. And don't get me wrong, guys, there is a call to obedience. You should desire those things. But I just want us to take time moving from Thanksgiving to Christmas to a new year and examine our hearts. God is good, and we have much to be thankful for.